Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I want to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. And I also want to thank you for partnering with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. There's always something new and exciting happening here at Ren, so please follow us on social media. You can find us by searching Renaissance Decatur. And you can also connect with us by visiting our website, rendecatur.org. Enjoy the podcast, and thank you so much for being a part of this community. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church. It's so great to see all of you. I want you to know, just sort of as we get started, I've been praying for you. You know, I'm not typically the guy that comes out of the spiritual gates and just punches you in the jaw and, you know, reminds you all that this is a spiritual experience that we're all supposed to, you know, be encouraged in the Lord and all that stuff. But I need you to hear this. You've entered into a spiritual experience, and I'm, I'm praying that you have an encounter with God. That's what I want for you. Otherwise, we're just at a concert, and there's a guy with a face mic standing up just talking about stuff. Agreed? Like, we really want to, to hear from God when he talks to us. I, I was praying this morning that, that God's spirit would work in us, and it would do something profound in us, things that we can't even do in ourselves. And, and, and we ask these things um, not because we're awesome, but because God is awesome, and he's, he's desirous to do them. In fact, asking for them is just, you know, um, partnering with him in his desire for our lives. I mean, this is so not my message, but I just want to say this. To all of us here. So um, let me just share something with you. Many, many, many years ago, I was in a, a rock band and um, I love playing guitar, love playing music, but there's this, there's this really interesting thing that happens with musical instruments if they're not grounded. Most um, musicians would know this, but you have to be very careful when you're playing like an electric guitar that you don't touch something that's ungrounded. You could find yourself getting shocked. In fact, we've known some famous musicians who have died this way. Um, so not long ago, okay, it was a long time ago, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I was at band practice and I was, I was holding onto my guitar and I went up and I just, knowing that you can sometimes get shocked by the microphone, I just typically just, you go up and touch it just to see if it's, everything's okay before you sing on it. Well, I didn't do that. I just went and put my lips on it and 110 volts, I think, <laughs> went through my face. <laughs> I think, because I don't remember anything at this point. <laughs> I saw bright lights. Jesus was not at the end of this tunnel. I'm just throwing this out there. All of the fillings in my teeth were hot. Yes, it was that thing. Yes. All of the fillings in my mouth were hot, and I asked everybody how long I was out for. And, I mean, all of this happened in an instant. In an instant, it happened. They're like, what are you talking about? You didn't pass out. You did nothing. I was convinced I had died and come back to life. So guess what I don't do anymore? I don't, I don't play guitar and grab a hold of the microphone at the same time. I, I'm saying all of that to say this, that sometimes the knowledge of things that we have uh, or understand predicates our behavior. And we can flip that thing on its script. We can read it backwards. Our behavior is often predicated by the things that we know and, and to understand. Uh, this is true for not just musicians playing guitar and singing. It's, it's true for taking oatmeal out of the microwave in a hot ceramic bowl, yes? Anyone? Or touching a cast iron skillet when you think it had time to cool down. <laughs> um, it's the same as learning to turn your wheels into the skid when you're driving on snow. I'm training my teenage daughters how to drive, and they've read that in the books, and they have no fathomable idea of what that means to them until they actually experience 
driving on the snow. And when a skid starts, it is imperative that you turn your wheels into, right? And, and we know this stuff because we've experienced what happens when you don't do that. And as parents, one of the things we're desperate to try to do is to train and to educate people so that they have the working understanding, have the knowledge truly in an effort that their behavior would be modified. This is what we do. And I'll tell you one of the greatest things, and this is not just parents. This is, we see this in the workplace. We see this in apprenticeships. Like we'll take apprentices in the electrical trades or plumbing trades, and we teach them by showing them this is what happens if you do it right. This is what happens when you do it wrong. And all of those things, again, knowledge is sort of predicating the behavior that we have. And I'll go one step further. I would argue the same is true theologically, that oftentimes our behavior is is, I'll be nice, right? I should be nice. You guys look nice. But sometimes the things that we do are based on an incorrect picture or an incorrect understanding of who God is and what God has done for us. Now, we're going to be continuing our study in 1 Corinthians. So if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll put words on the screen for you so you don't feel like some way you didn't bring a Bible or nothing like that. But I just want you to hear this. Paul, the apostle, is addressing Christians in Corinth. That's what this letter of 1 Corinthians is. He's addressing issues in the church. And a lot of the issues is this crazy, erratic, bizarre behavior over the last few weeks, we've learned many things about the Corinthian Christians. Number one, they're broken to schisms or, or factions or parties. Some of them like Paul better than Apollos, Apollos better than Peter, et cetera, et cetera. They're acting like, much like the American church today, just saying, they're just throwing it out there. Right? They're broken all of these different schisms. They're suing one another. One person is having a sexual relationship with his stepmom or mother-in-law, I can't remember which. I just think both of those things are, are crazy. Um, there's sexual immorality, fornication, licentiousness. All of these things are taking place in the church, and Paul is befuddled by it because he goes, you should know better because you understand who God is. Or do you? I mean, that's the, the idea and so he comes to them, not necessarily to correct their behavior, because that's called behavioral modification. And those things, uh, behavioral modification, just so you know, is a good thing for us, as long as it is God who's modifying our behavior. If, if you're the strength in your behavioral modification, then you're, <laughs> you and I, we are in trouble. And here's why. Because one day you're going to be tired. One day you're going to be hangry, Joe. <laughs> One day the associate at Menards won't understand your question and will send you into a fit of rage. <laughs> Friday for me, I'm just saying. <laughs> it's a real thing. Oh my gosh. If, if my behavior and the change of my behavior that I think God wants for me, if it hinges upon me, then I'm sunk. We're sunk. But if God is modifying our behavior, if God is changing our behavior, then it's good. Now, now Paul addresses the Corinthian church in some of the things that they're doing. Again, not, not in hopes to just get them to change their behavior. He actually comes underneath their knowledge and understanding of why that behavior is wrong in the first place. And in today's passage, as we read verses 12 through 20 in chapter 6, what we're seeing is Paul's addressing two primary things. The first is this. 
is that the church in Corinth is abusing this thing called freedom. Okay, freedom, or we might call liberty. Christ has done some things for us, and because of what Christ has done, we have liberty or freedom. They're, uh, they're abusing that. They have a misunderstanding of what that looks like. And secondarily, they have a misunderstanding of the body, their own human bodies. And, and Paul wants to address all of that. So let me read the entire passage together for us, starting in verse 12. We'll go through verse 20, and you'll see these two things come up. There's this issue of freedom and the issue of their body, starting here in verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful, he says. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food, he says, is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. We could use the word fornication there. Many of your translations use the word fornication. I will go back and forth, just so you know, because that's I'm used to both translations. But the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. And God has raised the Lord, Jesus, and he will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute, he asks. Never, never, he's, he would argue. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality, he says. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, he would argue, for you have been bought with a price. So now he says, glorify God in your body. You see the two things that pop up? He talks about freedom there at the beginning, and then he talks about the, the last part is about our bodies. Um, if I could just throw this out there, I was sharing with the staff this morning or this week, I don't have a good body theology. I gotta be honest with you, that's just never anything I've studied in the, the theology classes or doctrinal classes or anything. So this week for me was a wonderful exercise to try to dig into what the Bible would say about our bodies. And... Um, I think it's awesome. So I just want to pray for us. Let's do that. God, I just pray for our time together. Thank you that we could come and understand um, what you want us to know about freedom or, or liberty and uh, even how you view our physical bodies. God, I thank you that you would send Jesus to make a way to have relationship with you, that no amount of trying harder or doing better is the basis of our relationship with you, but it is in fact Jesus who is the basis. And so I thank you for Jesus. And Jesus, you've been so gracious to us to give us the Holy Spirit to indwell us, as Paul says, who um, imbides or abides inside of our bodies like, a, like we're the temple for the Holy Spirit. I think that is so great. So God, I just pray that the Holy Spirit who is here with us would speak to us in a way that's helpful, would speak to us in a way that's correcting, um, challenging, and I pray for all of these things, God, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 
Before we can really talk about this liberty issue or this um, freedom issue, what Paul's driving home is that there's been some liberty or freedom from this thing called the law. So I wanna do a little backstory on what the law is because I know not many of us would have maybe a full understanding of that. And, and for some of you, this will be review and it's fine. You can just kind of snoo snooze right through this part. <laughs> um, in the Bible, way back in the beginning book of Genesis, we learn of a man named Abraham. Abraham, we call the father of the faithful. Abraham was a man called by God to leave his land and to follow God into the promised land that he would have for him. Abraham was to live his life, hear me, by faith, to believe that God was leading him and directing him. In fact, God had told him one time that you're going to have a son one day and this son will be the promise that I, I am the God who's calling you, that you are the one who's faithful to me. I will give you a son to prove it. Now, Abraham, like many of us sometimes, can't wait for God's timing. Anyone? <laughs> and so uh, Abraham takes a, uh, a maidservant, whatever, and has a son through her instead of through his wife, which is not what God intended. Now, just a side note, just so you know, that, that maidservant, Hagar, has a son named Ishmael. Ishmael is the, the sort of great-great-great-great-grandfather of who we would call the, the uh, Islams or the Muslim faith. Their, their faith comes from Abraham as well, but through his son Ishmael, he gets the promise on Isaac that, that Judaism and Christianity comes through. That's just sort of an aside. That's sort of a fun thing to understand and know. But it's in faith that we get this thing of following God, trusting God for what he has for our lives, trusting God in his timing and all of that. And so God is leading Abraham. Abraham is following God as best he can, screwing up all along the way. You can read about it. It's glorious in the Old Testament. And after about 430 years after Abraham, um, God's people have grown into a mighty nation and they're now being led by a man named Moses. Who has heard of Moses? Now, this relationship with God and his people through Moses is mediated through something a little different. It's not necessarily a call of faith, but it's this call of rules or regulations. In fact, Jesus or Moses goes up a mountain called Sinai and writes the Ten Commandments or gets the Ten Commandments from God, brings them down to God's people and says, listen, God wants a relationship with you. And to have a relationship with God, then you have to keep these commandments, in fact, the Ten Commandments grow to over 600-some commandments in the Old Testament. Most of them are thou shalt not. Just throwing it out there. A lot of restrictions. Hear me. To have a relationship with God based on the law, it is you cannot do certain things. And if you do those certain things, you have sinned against God. Now, fortunately, God is loving and kind and gracious to us. So he says, if you sin against me by breaking my commands, then you just have to offer a sacrifice to atone for your sin. You take an animal, a dove, a lamb, a goat, a bull, and they sacrifice it. And when God sees the, the shedding of the innocent blood of that animal, he atones for their sin and they have right standing with God again. Woohoo! yay, until they sin again. And then they take another lamb or bull or goat and sacrifice it, yay until they sin again. So it's over and over and over again. Paul takes the language of the law and he says that the law actually had a purpose for us. In Galatians chapter three, he says it's actually a tutor or a schoolmaster. It's a guide to us. The law shows us this one thing for sure. In a nutshell, we can't keep the law. 
If there's, if there's nothing else we learn from it is that we're not good enough to keep it. I mean, maybe publicly. I mean, when people are watching, we're pretty, we're pretty BA, right? But when we're by ourselves, when no one's watching, we, we break God's commands all, all the time. The law just points to this reality that we'll never, ever, ever be justified in our own behavior alone. Now, before we all get depressed, may I remind you <laughs> that God sent his son, Jesus. Oh, he's a big deal around here, I'm just saying. He sends his son, Jesus, to be a sacrifice for us forever forever. And we no longer have to drag a, a bull or a lamb or a goat before God because we've sinned and we've all sinned. Yes. Thank you. But Jesus willing to give up his own life for hours, for hours. And in faith in Jesus Christ, now we have justification before God. We are standing in right standing before God. So here's the all of this is the background. All of this is pointing to this reality that we are no longer bound by the law, Paul would say. We have freedom in Christ. In Christ, we have freedom or liberty. And yet, the Corinthians have done this perverse thing. <laughs> They've just distorted it enough. They began to abuse it. In fact, guys, I have to be honest with you. I've talked to friends of mine when I talk about, are we free to do anything we want to do through Jesus Christ? Everyone knows the answer is yes, but no one wants to say it. <laughs> yeah, but if you open that door, then people are gonna act crazy. And I'm like, have you read the church in, Corinth in Corinthians? <laughs> See, you can't abuse that, but you can also understand it correctly. So yes, uh, we have a liberty or a freedom in Christ, but what the Corinthians did was just prostitute Jesus' work. They began to abuse it. I mean, if God's going to forgive us because of what Jesus has done, then I'm going to go and sin and sin and sin and sin. Sounds like Friday night for many of you. And then come Sunday, we say things like, well, Jesus forgives me. This I know. Anyways. And so although I would argue, and you can disagree with me, and that's fine, send the emails to joe at rendicator.org. <laughs> I believe we do have complete freedom in Christ that we can, in fact, do anything and, and like not lose the salvation that Jesus is making secure for us. But Paul would say, just be careful what you're doing. He says in verse 12, he says, all things are lawful to me. Now, I, I gotta be honest with you. I don't know that this is actually Paul's saying or it's the Corinthians saying. It's in quotes, just in the original Greek, there was no quotes. So we're trying to do some inference here. Is this a maxim of the Corinthian church? Is this the, the words that they're using to justify their crazy, debaucherous living? Well, we can do all things in Christ. All things are lawful for us. We can do whatever we want. Maybe, maybe that's what they're saying. Or maybe this is a teaching that Paul has brought before them once before. Doesn't matter. We don't need to know this. But Paul adds a second part to this. All things are lawful for you, yes, but not all things are helpful. Ha. Yes. Not all things would be beneficial. Not all things would be profitable, some translations would say. Would you agree with that? I gotta be honest, there's some things that we might have freedom to do, but it'll ruin your marriage. <laughs> it'll ruin your business, it'll ruin your family. Your kids won't call you dad anymore. 
It, it'll change everything you know about every person. This will wreck relationships faster than anything. You, you do some things that you have liberty to do and it'll destroy you. He <laughs> says, all things are lawful for me, but I'm not going to be dominated by any one thing, he would argue. I think it was Jonathan Edwards who said, I have the power to do anything, but I will, but I will not be overpowered by anything either. We, we might have the liberty to do some things, but some of these things are very dangerous for us to do. If I could be very honest, this is probably one of the scariest things for me as a Christian that God would actually allow me to see this and understand this. <laughs> That my salvation is secure in Jesus. Thank you, God. And, and, but I want to live a good life. I want to live a, a purposeful life. I want God to direct the steps of my life. I want to live the abundant life that he makes available to me. I don't want to screw up. I want my life to be profitable. I want my decisions to be helpful. Not just for myself, but for others. The, the Corinthian church, they're just abusing this idea. They can do anything they want. Christ's salvation is strong enough to pull them back from even the, their depths of depravity. And they have this sort of argument about it. Verse 13, they say, uh, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach is for food. We're like, duh, we know this. But their argument is this, is that just like eating is a natural thing for us when we have an appetite of hunger, we eat and it's satisfied. That's what food is for, they would argue. But then they take that logic and apply it to other things about the body, in particular, Sexual intercourse. They apply that. To, it's just a natural appetite that, that men have, that women have. And it's, it's okay to just go out and, and just grab some to satiate that appetite, if you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but Paul makes a distinction. He says food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. But, but he says, but God's going to destroy both of those things. This idea of eating when there's a natural appetite, those, those things are going to go away. That's not, that's not going to carry into eternity with us. He says the body is not meant for sexual immorality, which is their argument. I, we can do whatever we want. It's just a natural thing. In fact, I believe the Corinthian church had this dualistic idea that everything in the, the carnal world around them was evil and bad. And only the spiritual things are what's good. They just figure we can, we can use this body like a rental car. Right? Everyone's rented a car before and you drive it like no one's watching. That's a reality show. I'm just saying. That would be a great... Anyways, I'm, I'm going to get off topic here. But they treat their bodies just assuming it doesn't matter what's happening. Guys, they feel like it doesn't matter what's going to happen to it because one day I'm going to be raised from the dead and I'll be resurrected. I'll be with God forever. I get a new body, we say. But I think that's mistaking what God's implying here. In fact, I think God glorifies the body in a profound way. What do I mean by that? When God came to earth, he placed Jesus inside of a body. There, there's a dignity that's, that's put before us in the human body. To, to, to abuse it, to mistreat it, to just, as I've heard some of my Christian friends say, I'm just going to run hard until I just slide into the grave and die and then go into eternity. I mean, that's an abuse of what God has intended for our bodies. God does not want that for us. 
He says, yes, the body and the stomach are going to be destroyed. The body means something else. God raised the Lord Jesus from the dead, again, giving some dignity to the body. And he will also raise us by his power. Verse 15, do you not know to the Corinthian church, adding to the theology of what they kind of already know, he says, but may I remind you of this, do you not know that your bodies now through Christ have become members of Christ? That's a big topic. We can talk about that later, but just understand the weight of that, that we are all tied together. Our bodies are connected with Christ. Those of us who are Christians, this is going to get real, um, okay, this could be helpful. It could also offend you. Um, either way, um, okay. I'm okay with either, I'm just saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> We are united in Christ. And, and um, yes, someone might not be checking your browser history. Yes, your family might be gone, yes. But I, I, if you could just picture as you're sitting at the computer screen, looking at the things you're looking at, Jesus Christ is sitting right next to you. We are, we are connected to him in a way that, I mean, he sees it all. And he, here's Paul's argument. He actually participates. Oh, I got to be careful because that's like weird theology right there. I'm just, but you hear, hear what I'm trying to say? He says, we're part of him. So whatever we do with our bodies, we're dragging Jesus along to participate in. And he said, you should, you should not do that. You should never do that. He, he says, Shall I then take members of Christ's body? Shall I take my own body and make them members of a prostitute? That seems pretty specific. Like, you mean I can do anything else I want with my body? Just not go get with a prostitute? No. I think Paul's addressing a specific issue in the church. In Corinth, there were many other temples in there serving other false gods. And part of their worship in their pagan culture was to take a temple prostitute and worship that god. Sounds like American, just saying. And he says, should I take the member of Christ, my own body, and go put it together with a temple prostitute, with a prostitute? I mean, when you think about that we are united with Christ, it makes that behavior, behavior even more disturbing, doesn't it? Do you not know, verse 16, that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her. For it is written, and then Paul quotes Genesis chapter two, when God created Adam and Eve, and he says the two will come together, right? The two will become one flesh. He, he's talking about Adam and Eve in the first marriage, husband and wife, that they come together as one, connected together in one body. He says you're doing the same type of thing when you, when you fornicate. And I'll, I'll argue not even with a prostitute when you just are sexually immoral. Jeff, would you define sexually immoral? Is that the question? Is that the question you guys need answered today? Yes. Anyone else? <laughs> <laughs> you, you said that out loud. I'm just for, for the record. <laughs> Lance, I don't know what's happening. Sex as 
how God in the Bible would define it for us is, would be between a husband and a wife in the covenant of marriage. And that's a traditional old fogey view, if you will, but it's the view that we believe here in the church, and that, that's what we would ascribe to. We believe the Bible teaches that, and I could do a whole series on that, and maybe at some point we will. Sexual fornication, this Greek word pornia or pornia or whatever, is the literal junk drawer of every other sexual sin. It, it is all of those things. You mean sex with someone is not your wife? Yes. Sex with my fiance, my girlfriend before we're married? Yes. Sex with someone else's wife? Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, you, you name it. It's all of those things. What God would intend for us is to, to be like Adam and Eve, united in God together, husband and wife, and that we would enjoy that sexual union together because it is a union that far exceeds every other union's. This is kind of graphic. There are teenagers. You're so glad you brought your teenagers to church this morning. All right, I can't. Uh, no, I don't have time. Okay. Do you not know, verse 16 again, that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her, quoting Genesis, verse 17. But he is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Not in the exact same way that you're joined together with a, in, in fornication, but in a supernatural way, he says, we become one flesh or one spirit with Jesus. And then he, he writes, flee from sexual immorality. He literally means run away from it. Because of their view of the body that you could just use it up and, and you know, drive it hard or whatever, and it doesn't matter, it's only the soul that matters, you can do whatever you want to the body. Guys, this, this is leaked into the church. Listen, we say things like this um, after our services on Sunday. Uh, if, uh, um, we say this about evangelism. Um, how many souls did you save? How many souls come to the Lord? How many, how many souls are you winning for Christ? Listen, ladies and gentlemen, God cares more than just about the soul. He, he cares about the body too. It, this is wrecking my theology here. This, this is something I've never been taught before. He cares about the body. And we would never abuse the body to just be, consider it to be thrown away. No, he wants to save our souls, of course, and he wants to save our bodies as well. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin, he says, a person commits is outside of the body, but the person who is sexually immoral, the person who fornicates, they sin against themselves. Now, there are more than just fornication or sexual immorality that sins against our own body. There are a couple others, some very famous ones in the church, is gluttony. <laughs> That'd be a sin against your own body, would you agree? Drunkenness. That'd be a sin against your own body. But where those things can actually, well, let me say this. You can actually eat food and not sin. Say amen, right? But you can sin by eating food, yes? <laughs> you guys checking, right? It's not a sin to eat food, but you can sin by eating food. It's called gluttony. You can overeat. You can use it as your God, your Jesus, 
Whenever you get depressed, you go to that first instead of Jesus. Whenever you you need a, a, an answer made, you just you go to the table to pray and to eat and just hope that answers come to you. I mean, you can you can abuse food, and the same is true with alcohol. Right? Is it a sin to drink alcohol? Answer me. <laughs> You're like I don't know the answer. <laughs> no. I mean, that's just what I believe. I mean, there could be a mass exodus out of the church right now. Right? I, I, would, I would not say it is. Is it a sin to get drunk? Yes. Can you, can you drink without sinning? Yes. Can you sin while drinking? Yes, yes. But hear me, when it comes to things of sexual immorality, it's sin, period. You, I'll just take a little sexual immorality, please. I'll take the light plate, right? The lunch portion, that's not how this works. And God needs them to understand that. Now, why, why is like this, like, like this feels heavy today? I don't know why that, that is, except that I think many people are sort of caught up in all of this. We have this sort of, just like the Corinthian church, we sort of justify our behavior. Jeff, we're going to get married. We're going to get married one day. So what's it matter? It's a test drive. Legit, I've heard that argument. <laughs> Wait for it. From Christians. Now, okay, can, can, are you uh, not saved if you do something like this? No, it's not my argument at all. It's not even Paul's argument. He's just saying you're, just, you're abusing the body and you're doing things that aren't, in fact, helpful or beneficial or even profitable to you. I have teenage daughters. Well, I'm not even going to go there. Okay. I think, I think, the, <laughs> I'm having fun. I think, <laughs> I think this is coming around so frequently, even in my mind, I, I can't even leave this. It's because maybe this is an issue for us in the church today. I don't know anybody's story. I'm not trying to call anybody out on anything right now. But the Holy Spirit would know. The Holy Spirit would see the sexual sins in your life and the Holy Spirit would speak to those things. And the, and the great thing about all of that is, is we are in fact um, not in danger of losing our salvation because of that. Because of Christ Jesus, we're, we're settled in him. But our lives can be so much better for us if we just um, align ourselves with choosing those things that are helpful and beneficial and avoiding those things that are not. He says, flee from sexual immorality. There is nothing in it that is helpful to you. It is but a release of endorphins and some enjoyment for a weekend, and then it is gone. Do you hear me? That's all that is. Do you not know, verse 19, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? This is brand new theology for this Corinthian church. He had talked to them previously in chapter three about how the church in Corinth is a temple of God, much like the temples to Artemis down the street, much like the temples to, oh, down over here. Yes, the church in Corinth is a temple to God, but now he flips it just a little bit, refines it just a little bit, says, no, you personally, this is a singular use of that word, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Again, adding dignity to the human body. Tell me where God dwells in the Bible. Tell me. He dwells in a tent in the Old Testament, the tent of meeting, blah, blah, blah. And we're learning he dwells in us. 
Those are the places God chooses to dwell, inside his people. That is profound. And you have this from God. You are not your own because of that, he would argue. And because you have been bought with a price, pointing to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, won't go into that. But because you have been bought with a price, he says, now glorify God in your body. There is the charge for us to begin to glorify God in our bodies. So I started running recently. I mean, that's it. And you're like, that guy runs? <laughs> my, my family laughs at me because it's um, a learn to run program where we actually run for a few minutes and then walk the rest. And so my daughter's like, oh, wow, you ran for two minutes and walked for eight minutes. <laughs> but I'm learning. And I want to just share this quick story. I'm finishing with this. Um, I'm on the last of the, we do like three rounds. I'm on the last round of an eight minute run and it's murdering me, guys. I'm, I'm fat. I'm out of shape. It's ridiculous. I'm in, right? It's terrible. And I'm trying to get through my last eight minutes and I'm, I'm passing someone on the, the running trail and I, I hear this woman who I do not know walking or, uh, with a trainer and she's going and she's saying things like, I just want to be healthy for my family. I just want to be healthy for my kids. I just want to be, be healthy for my grandkids. If I ever have grandkids, I just want to be, be healthy. And she's like, I just want my life to change. I just want all these things. And, and as I'm running past her, I hear these things. And it was like um, the theme music to Rocky just came on. <laughs> I want those things. I legit want those things. I don't want to be this way. I want to live a long life. I want to, I want to enjoy all those things. And, and as I'm studying in, in this passage today, it's not just that I want to do those things for my family. It's not just I want to do those things for my future grandkids or whatever, all this stuff, for my, my spouse. I, I want to do these things for the Lord. This is no guilt thing. All I'm just trying to do is awaken some of your eyes. This is why addiction is so terrible. This is why fornication and sexual sins are so terrible. This is why gluttony is so bad. This is why drunkenness is so bad. Because we are destroying the very thing that God wants to one day raise from the dead. That he dignifies so much by placing us on Jesus inside of one that we might see the example no shame here. This is just an awakening to us that God has called us into something greater, yeah? Right. <laughs> and this is not a call to exercise class or anything. Um, I want to pray for us. you bow your heads. God, we're, we're a people who justify our behavior <laughs> more than anyone I know. I mean, we just do it. Lord. We have a reason for everything that we do. But God, may we never be people who justify our sinful behavior based on the, the freedom that we have in Jesus. The salvation aside, Lord God, we want to live a life that's worthy of you. A life that would glorify you, bring you honor. So God, I, I just pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, there'd be no shame or condemnation here, but there would be, be a, a, an, a, an awakening to us that you are calling us into something different and unique, that you want us to change. And it's not just uh, modifying our behavior, it's, it's truly God 
helping us see things differently so that our, our behavior gets in line. And we need, to, we need to have our understanding changed, how you view us, how you see us, how you desire a different life for us, and use that to then fix us and change us, not the other way around. We're not earning favor from you by disciplining harder and trying things better and all of that. We're, we're walking out from what you've done for us into newness of life. And I, I pray um, forgiveness would be felt by the people in this room who have, uh, whether they've admitted it to anyone else, you know, God, that they have they've lived a life of fornication. They've given themselves over to lusts and and God, I just pray that there would be a freedom from shame in that and that they could have forgiveness from you in that. You would, stand, you would stand before all of us, myself included, and say, Jeff, I've seen your past, but, but Jesus, my son, changes that. And, and we start over. We, we are made into to new creatures or new creations, Paul even says. And we can live a new life. God, I pray that you would call us into new life, new life that we would not focus on our past, I love earlier that we prayed even that the, uh, the trails of last week and everything that we did, did would not follow us from this point forward. In Jesus' name, I pray we'd be freed into new life. I pray for the, the, the cry of people who need help, that they would just say, I can't do this on my own any longer. God, I need help. I need you to change how I view myself. I need you to change how I view my behaviors. I need you to change me. And I just pray that people would just respond by saying those words. I need you to change me. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together, we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, please go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves him.